0: Let's open up Holy Scripture now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we'll read that entire chapter together. This is God's word. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy, by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. That's how far we read God's holy word the basis of that passage, and many others. We have the instruction from our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. Lord's Day 25. And that reads this way. Since then we are made partakers of Christ, and all his benefits by faith only, whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost, who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals, appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that he grants to us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both word and sacraments, then, ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, As the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, for the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant or testament? Two, namely, holy baptism and the holy supper. beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ. A good teacher will build upon what he's already taught you before he gets to new material. Our Heidelberg Catechism is a good teacher. He's already taught you certain things and he assumes that You already know these things. And what I'm talking about is mentioned in question 65 at the beginning. Since then, we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only. So he's assuming you know this already, that we are partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only. This has been taught us in previous Lord's days already. And now our good teacher... Heidelberg Catechism is going to build upon that and make an advance and teach us other things. And the other things that he's going to begin teaching us is the whole idea of faith, but also where faith comes from. That's really one package. Faith, but now where it comes from. And that's why question 65 ends Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only. Now this, whence doth this faith proceed? You talk about faith, we've covered that already, but where does this faith come from? What's its origin? And the answer that we're going to hear about this morning is that it comes from, as the catechism says, the Holy Ghost, but especially this, the Holy Ghost uses means to work faith and he uses means to confirm faith. And the means that the Holy Spirit uses to work faith, also to strengthen it, is the preaching of the gospel. And the means that he uses to confirm faith is the sacraments. And so that's what we have this morning, a sermon on preaching and a sermon also on the sacraments. And once our good teacher, the Heidelberg Catechism, lays this foundation, this idea of these means, then he'll, from that launch pad, if you will, go into a deeper examination of the sacraments. And that's why you have the sacraments only introduced here, but the catechism will go on in Lord's Days 26 and 27, to look at baptism, and then Lord's Days 28 through 30 to examine the Lord's Supper. But we have an opportunity this morning to hear in an introductory way about baptism and Lord's Supper, but a unique opportunity in the Heidelberg Catechism, especially to look at the preaching, what the preaching is, what the preaching is supposed to be. We call these The means of faith. Sometimes perhaps a more familiar term to you is the means of grace. Means of faith and means of grace are essentially the same thing, but we call them means of faith because that more closely aligns with the language of the catechism. So we'll take that as our theme this morning, the means of faith. In the first place, let's look at the idea. And then second and more briefly, the focus, and then third, the implications. The means of faith, the idea, the focus, and the implications. As I briefly indicated to you, the main subject of Lord's Day 25 is what we call the means of faith. I want to take that brief little phrase there, and let's break that up so that we can better understand it. Faith, means of faith. This is no new doctrine to you. Even before you started the catechism again, it wasn't new, but you already learned this in a previous Lord's Day. If you have your Psalter open, you can look at Lord's Day 7. I want to call your attention to question and answer 21 of Lord's Day 7. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence, which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, Merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. When we talk about the means of faith, we mean here the activity of faith. And as we just read, faithful summary of scripture that Lord's Day 7 is, the activity of faith is knowledge and confidence. We know our God not only with the intellectual aspect of us with our mind, but we know our God with the heart, personal, warm knowledge. And we know Jesus Christ and his salvation of us and all the promises that God has given to us in Christ. So that's faith, knowledge, but it's also confidence. We trust in our God. We rely upon him. We Lean upon him and his promises and our Savior Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. That's faith, knowledge, and confidence. This faith, this activity of faith, comes from the Holy Ghost. Remember, that's part of the appointment that's being established here in Lord's Day 25. Holy Spirit works this faith. He works this knowledge and this confidence. And the Holy Ghost himself is the one who confirms it. But here's the thing. For that working of faith and that confirming of faith, the Holy Spirit uses means. He uses means for that. If I can give you an illustration, God uses the means of food and drink to nourish your physical body. Now everyone here would say without any dispute, God's the one who strengthens and nourishes my body. Food and drink all by themselves would never do that. God's the one who does it, And yet we say in the same breath, he uses food and drink as means in his hand to strengthen and nourish our physical bodies. And that's how you can understand the spiritual idea as well. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who strengthens and confirms our faith, but he uses means for that. And the means all to themselves, apart from God, they wouldn't do anything. They would have no effect, but the means in the hand of the Holy Spirit, that has an effect. God, the Holy Spirit, uses the means to work faith and to strengthen it. One means of faith is what we identify as the preaching. That is one means of faith. When you have preaching, there, of course, has to be a preacher. That's, that's a key ingredient in that. That preacher may not be just anyone. That's very common in the church world nowadays that in very, very loose churches, just about anyone in the congregation can stand up and say, I'm going to preach to you today in perhaps less loose churches, but definitely still wrong, there may be those who jump on Google, go through some program, get some so-called degree, and then they insert themselves into the church. They, so to speak, lift themselves on the people and say, I'm going to be your preacher now. No, not just anyone may be a preacher. He must be a sent man. A preacher must be a man who's sent. That's what we learned as we read Romans 10. Let me just read a few of those verses, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And now this, and how shall they preach except they be sent, man must be sent. Right now as a congregation, you are in the process of calling a man. The council comes with a trio of men, and then the male confessing members in good standing at a congregational meeting call one man from that trio, and you hope, I hope, and the Lord willing, One day, perhaps soon or later, a man will accept that call and you will install that man. That man will be installed as a pastor in Dune Protestant Reformed Church. And you can say about that man, he has been sent by God. That's what a preacher must be, sent. Just as a very brief aside here, as long as we're talking about Preachers, are we praying for more ministers in our denomination? I know that that's being brought in chapel speeches often. You probably hear it frequently from this pulpit, but let's not tire of that. Fathers, are we praying in front of our sons for more pastors in our denomination? We need them. And office bearers, are we talking to boys and young men in our congregation that we see gifts in? Have you considered the ministry? We need more men like that. Preaching is a means of faith. And we've said about preaching that there has to be a preacher, a sent man. But when it comes to preaching, there's also a content. Of course there is. what is being preached. And the only thing that may ever come from the pulpit out of a minister's mouth is the Word of God, the Scriptures. You're perhaps familiar with that story in Acts chapter 8. Your children will maybe remember this from catechism. Philip the evangelist who came to that chariot where that Ethiopian eunuch was sitting and Philip joined himself to that chariot. This is what we read in that history. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 28, that this Ethiopian eunuch was returning and sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so Philip went over there. He came to the chariot. And Philip asked this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he said that he didn't. And then we read in verse 31 that the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In this humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Here we have it. Early New Testament church, which you would expect Acts to teach us something about preaching. What did Philip do on that day to that Ethiopian eunuch? He opened up the scriptures to him and preached to him the word of God. That alone must be the content of all preaching. And here's something wonderful. When the Bible is faithfully proclaimed. You hear the voice of Jesus Christ Himself. That's amazing. The elders in the congregation must see to it that when a minister is preaching, it's only the scriptures which are being proclaimed. That's probably the main thing when it comes to elders' oversight of the preaching. It must be the word of God alone. And then we, as a congregation, as a whole, all of us in the office of believer, we must ensure that too. I always encourage heritage congregation to have their Bibles open during the sermon and to have a, a sort of head bobbing from Bible to minister bible to minister checking is what he's saying truly the text before is he opening that up faithfully we always want to avoid the one ditch over here that we become hypercritical people and we're looking for things we don't ever want that but we can so easily slide into the other ditch that we become very lax, and well, if Reverend so-and-so says it, then it must be the scripture. Must not be that either, but the middle road of careful, discerning, charitable listening. Preaching is one means of faith. You have a preacher, a sent man, and what he preaches, the word of God, alone. The Holy Spirit, uses that preaching of the word of God to work faith in us and to strengthen that faith. Sometimes we call the preaching the chief means of grace or the chief means of faith. And it's chief At least partly for this reason, that the Holy Spirit is actually, by that preaching, working faith in us. Let me explain to you by an illustration what I mean by that. There's a seed that a farmer takes and he plants that seed in the soil. That seed, as you children know too, has the whole life of the plant in it. Whatever that plant is going to be, even when it's full grown and mature, it's all inside that seed, although it's just a seed yet. And so the farmer takes that seed, he plants it in the soil, and then the rain and the sunshine come upon that seed, and it's by that rain and sunshine that the seed sprouts just a little bit. You might say that the rain and sunshine draw in a beginning way, life out of that seed. Now think of what we're talking about this morning. There is a seed that's planted inside your heart, and it's the seed of Christ's life. When that's planted in your heart is in the moment of regeneration. Seed of Christ's life planted in your heart in regeneration and you might say that, yes, it's just a seed yet, but this is everything that you're ever going to be spiritually. But it's just a seed now. And then the rain and the sunshine of the preaching comes upon that seed. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit using that rain and sunshine of the word preach, that seed just begins to sprout, draws life, you might say, out of that seed so that we become conscious, aware of that life of Christ in us. And when we say that by the rain and sunshine of the word, the seed begins to sprout, that's what we mean by the fact that the Holy Spirit, by the preaching, works faith. Just that beginning sprouting. And then, not only works faith, but then Sunday by Sunday, the Holy Spirit uses that very same preaching to continually strengthen that plant, if you will, of your faith. There is something astounding that happens when you walk through these doors and listen actively under the gospel as it's being proclaimed. God is using that to grow your faith. Isn't that amazing? Before you came to church, there's a difference after you leave church. There's, before you came to church, there was a need for more growth in knowledge. And a need to have that trust in God strengthened. And then having sat under the preaching and then leaving, going up the middle aisle, God has, under that preaching, made you to know him more in a personal way. He's made you to grow in your confidence in your Savior and all the promises of the word. He grows your faith. That is the amazing thing before us today. Preaching is one means of faith, as we said, the chief means. Another means of faith is the sacraments, the sacraments. Catechism was a little more brief on the preaching. It says there in answer 65, Holy Spirit works faith in our heart by the preaching of the gospel. And now it says about the sacraments, he confirms faith by the use of the sacraments. Let me just read answer 66 there. What are the sacraments? They are wholly visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel and so on. There are, as the catechism indicates at the end, only two sacraments. Baptism, And Lord's Supper, Roman Catholic Church, multiplies sacrament after sacrament so that there are a number of them. Roman Catholic Church is wrong. There are only two. Jesus Christ instituted both of them. And I point that out to you from the Scripture. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 and 19, this is baptism. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Christ instituted baptism. And then with regard to the Lord's Supper, Matthew chapter 26 Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. And as they were eating, that is, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. So Christ instituted also the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The catechism Calls the sacraments signs. They're signs. When the air this spring gets humid and thick, and the sky turns yellow, and the clouds are dark and get billowing on each other, you know that's a sign pointing to the fact that a huge storm is coming. When you're on a dirt path and you see footprints on that dirt path, that's a sign or it points you to the fact that there was a walker on that path before you came there. So also something like that, the sacraments are signs in that they point to spiritual realities. God created you with senses. The sense of sight, the sense of touch and taste and so on. And God now in his great love and grace toward us gives us the sacraments which are physical things. You can touch them, you can see them. In the case of one of them, you can even taste it. They're these visible physical things, and he uses them to point you to or to teach you about invisible spiritual realities. That's what it means that sacraments are signs. Think of baptism. Baptism, the physical visible thing, of course, is the water that's sprinkled, let's say, on a little baby. And cleanses away the filth of the body, which points or teaches us about the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away sin. Or think of the Lord's Supper, the visible, physical thing, of course, is the eating broken bread, drinking poured out wine for the nourishment of this body. And that's a sign that points us to or teaches us about the invisible spiritual reality of eating and drinking the crucified Lord Jesus Christ for the nourishment of our soul. Sacraments are signs. They're also seals, the Heidelberg Catechism calls them. They're also seals. Seals are maybe we would understand this a little better and more quickly in the olden days, but seals are a validation of something, confirms something. Uh, A seal is something that is a guarantee to us. And it's not just that the sacraments are a guarantee or a confirmation to other people sitting beside me, but very personally for me, right to my heart. Those spiritual realities we were just talking about, the sacraments in the hand of the Holy Spirit are a confirmation to me that these things about my Lord Jesus Christ are true for me. And I need that guarantee regularly because I can be so weak in my faith because I can be assailed with so many doubts, even on a daily basis. I need the sacraments as a seal. Holy Spirit now uses those sacraments, signs and seals, for the confirming of our faith. Sometimes we call the sacraments secondary means of grace or secondary means of faith. And mainly what we mean there is that the Holy Spirit does not use the sacraments to work our faith. That's only the preaching. He uses the sacraments only to confirm our faith. or secondary means of grace. Let me carry on that illustration that I was using before. Just like a seed is planted in the soil and the rain and sunshine come upon that seed and begin to draw life out of it, it just gets to sprouting. Now we're going to add something to that. A farmer will not only plant the seed in the ground and then the rain and sunshine come and the seed just begins to sprout but he's going to add to that rain and sunshine also fertilizer. And that fertilizer is going to further strengthen the plant that's already growing. And so now think of that spiritually. Here comes the the rain and the sunshine of the preached word. The, The seed has already sprouted, if you will. It Faith has been worked by the Holy Spirit, but now the fertilizer of the sacraments is added to the rain and sunshine of the preaching more and more to confirm that growing plant, to strengthen that growing plant of our faith. They're not chief, but they're important nonetheless. The sacraments. That God has so graciously given to us. What. Are the preaching. And the sacraments all about. They have beloved. A focus. And what they zero in upon these means of faith. Is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what they're all about, to borrow a little bit from the language of our catechism, Christ crucified, that's what they focus upon, and all the blessings that he applies to us based on his sacrifice. And then you say at this point in the sermon, that's no surprise to me that the focus of the means of faith is Christ, because after all, what's going to grow my faith? But that I hear about my Savior and how lovely He is and that my sins are forgiven for His sake and that He applies to me all the blessings that He's earned for me. That's what's going to make me stronger in my faith. And you say, well, that's no surprise that Christ is the focus of the preaching and sacraments. After all, we heard already that the Spirit is the one who has these means of faith in his hand. And who is he? He's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you know about the Spirit that he doesn't call attention to himself, but that he always shines the spotlight upon the Savior. Yes, indeed, he's the focus. And that's why the Catechism says what it does. And question 67, are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. That is what it's all about. If you read with me Acts chapter 8, you will have noticed there's something that I omitted to say purposefully, but that I bring in now. When Philip, the evangelist, opened up the scripture and preached out of Isaiah to that Ethiopian eunuch sitting beside him in the chariot, what does the Bible say he preached? Jesus. That's what he proclaimed. Even In the Old Testament, because that's what it's all about Jesus. No minister then may give you a commentary on the Russia Ukraine conflict. No preacher may then come and give a lecture on the virtues of pro life organizations. It's not stories, it's not entertainment time, it's not personal opinions. Christ crucified and risen and the blessings he applies to us based on his sacrifice, that is the focus. Every sermon is going to have a variety to it. No sermon is going to be quite the same. Some texts will be admonitions and maybe warnings and commandments. And then that's going to be, you might say, the main point of the sermon but another sermon like one you may hear on Good Friday centers right there on the cross. And that's the sermon all the way through. But whatever sermon you get for all the variety there may be, centrally and at its meat, Christ. High priest who willingly and obediently brought himself as a sacrifice for sin and said, It is finished. And we say with the catechism, what's it all about? That the whole of my salvation depends upon his one sacrifice. That's the ground of our salvation. And then what he earned there at the cross, that is for the sake of his sacrifice, all these blessings. First of all, and primarily the remission of sins. Don't we need to hear that proclaimed to us? Sunday by Sunday, your sins, beloved, are forgiven. Those sins that weary you and the guilt that burdens you, forgiven. And you have life eternal. It's been earned for you at the cross. You have it planted inside of you already. You're conscious of it. And one day you will know it fully in the presence of your blessed Savior in heaven. Don't you need to hear about that? Christ and his blessings. That's the focus. Briefly, there are two implications when it comes to the means of faith. Implication number one, we love to go to church. Because the means of faith are here, and the gospel is here. Who of you doesn't like good news? A mom, a grandma, just got the phone call. She's free of cancer. That's been in her and throughout her body for three years, and now she's free of cancer What wonderful news. A baby's born and just got a call from the parents in the hospital. A healthy baby born. Who doesn't like good news? And yet, people of God, we get to come inside this building two times every single week and hear not only good news, but the best news that there can be in all of the world. Christ crucified for you. And then you say, oh, I know, I know. I'm commanded to come here. That's the fourth commandment. But it is my delight by the grace of God to come here too. And then if I may reflect personally, and I want the children to hear this too. In days that we have few pastors, there is nothing better in the whole world than for God to give me the task to preach those good tidings and administer the sacraments. There's nothing like it. And then the second implication beyond loving to go to church is just this, the importance of church. Because this is the place mainly where God is going to grow your faith. That's why church is so important those who refuse to come and I'll just stay home and I can worship at home, that person is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. I think that there's a great danger there, probably more than there was even three, four years ago with COVID. A couple of years ago, we did worship for a time, probably you too, at home. And it gets Pretty comfortable. Not so bad sitting on the couch watching the sermon on TV. We must not become comfortable at home but fight those tendencies. Disobedience to the fourth commandment to refuse to come. This is where God grows my faith. Mainly here. God's so work in us by His grace a zeal for his house, love for this place, and understanding of its importance, and may God continue to grow our faith. Amen. Our Father in heaven, use mightily in Dune Protestant Reformed Church the means of faith. Give growth, O oh Lord, to the faith of thy people here. Focus them week by week upon their precious Savior. And Father, give to this congregation a rejoicing in thee under that good news. Father, forgive us of our sins. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.